So we've been sitting for a little bit and I'd like to do something just a little bit differently maybe. It has nothing to do with uh, my message. You know, a smile means a whole lot. It um, really brightens you up. It makes you kind of feel good. So I'd like you to stand up and make eye contact with two people and give them a smile, okay? <clears throat> okay, um, the likelihood that someone in the audience here this morning has an appointment next month is pretty high, I'd say. It might be you have an appointment with a doctor, you might have an appointment with a dentist, or you might have an appointment like we did this week to meet with the tax preparer, or you might need to have an appointment with a client that you need to uh, meet up with. But every appointment that we have in life generally has a set time and it has a date where we need, you know, where, where we make that, when we make that appointment. But this morning, I'd like to talk about an appointment with death and judgment. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And that's going to be my text verse, and I'm going to be looking at other verses also. But I'd like to read that verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So we have an appointment with death, and with judgment. Each of us, you know, we've experienced a physical birth. Each of us that are alive and breathing, um, and you're alive. Um, and if you're not sure if you're alive, just pinch yourself and make sure you're alive. But, but each of us that, that are here, we've, we, um, we have experienced that physical birth. And every one of us, we're also going to die um, unless the Lord returns and takes us away. We have an appointment with death. You know, we don't remember it ourselves as far as our birth. We, we, don't, we don't remember what birth is like. But for the most part, each of us, you know, our births were, were happy times for our parents. You know, a new life was born. Um, you know, expectations were high. For, for you and for me, and the future was unknown, but the possibilities for each of us was endless. And our parents, I think they probably marveled, I know we did, as, as each child was born, we marveled at, at how they were made. You know, you looked at their feet, their hands, and how they moved, and, and their little body, and, and how every little organ worked, and and it was just, uh, you marveled at how life was conceived and how here was a, a new life held in your hands. But then when you compare that to the flip side, when you think about death, on the other hand, that leaves us, it leaves us with an empty spot. I think probably most of us have experienced that in some way or another, whether it's a parent, you know, a loved one, or, you know, even an extended family member. 
you know, it leaves an empty spot. It brings an end to someone that was once, you know, he, they, were, they were vibrant and they were living and they were breathing and there was, there was life in them. And death is, it's indiscriminate. And it, it affects the oldest, the youngest. It affects people that are rich and poor, someone that has influence or someone that's just a regular person on the street. It, it's indiscriminate. But death leaves us with memories and, and it leaves us with an ache in our hearts. It leaves us with a longing to hear their voice, to see them again. And death is final in the sense of us living here on the earth. But, but really when you think of death, it's, it's really, it's just the beginning. And as a Christian, or as a child that's old enough to be accountable, death is the continuation and it's the beginning of our eternal future that started way back when we committed our lives to Jesus as our Savior. So, but if you're not a Christian, death is the beginning of the worst nightmare that you can only think of. And you're never going to wake up after the nightmare is over. Death is the beginning of that nightmare. And the expression has been used, and it's not used as much anymore, but in the past it was used more where people would say, if the Lord tarries, we shall die. And what was, what was meant by that? And what they meant by that was that if Jesus doesn't come for us soon, we will go through the experience of death. But if Jesus comes back in our lifetime, we won't have to go through that experience of death. You know, and for me, as I think about death, I wouldn't mind escaping death. And I'd, I'd like to just go straight to be with Jesus. I wish he would come back in the clouds and I could just, you know, be done with death and wouldn't have to face it. But since, you know, we, we don't know when Jesus is going to return, I think for all of us, we, we do need to plan on dying. It, it, it is a fact of life that each of us are going to die, and we need to plan on dying. You know, we, you think of Adam and Eve. They were our first parents, and, and they died eventually. Abraham, as you think of him, he was the father of a great nation, and he died. You would think if anyone wouldn't die, you know, those people wouldn't die. Noah, he built an ark, and he saved us as a lineage of people from, you know, total extinction. And then you, th you think of people like Daniel, you know, he spent a night in the den of lions. You think of David, who, who was, uh, he was a man after God's, God's heart. And then you think of Solomon, the richest and the wisest man. Those people, they all died, even though they were special people in God's eyes. And we could go on and, you know, we could list other people like John the Baptist in the New Testament, Paul and the 12 apostles. But still, death waited for them also. They experienced death. And there's, there's nothing to stop death save God alone. And, and God did do that sometimes. You think of Enoch and Elijah, and then there was people that he raised from the dead. And there's probably a few other incidents where I'm missing there. But God alone can stop death. And you think about Jesus. Jesus was victorious over death. Um, but like I said, our greatness, our wealth, our goodness, 
none of that will appease and none of it will subdue death when it's time for us to die. When, when it's our time to die, we are going to die. And David, he recognized the frailty of life when he told Jonathan, his best friend, Jonathan, who is Saul's father, and Saul was after David, and he was trying to kill David. And David told Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20, verse 3, he said, there is but a step between me and death. So we come back to our verse in Hebrews again, where it says, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So I haven't talked about judgment. There is going to be a judgment. And you mean that I'm going to be judged when I die? And the fact is, yes, I'm going to be judged when I die. And as I thought about what it would feel like to stand before a judge in a court setting um, before the Almighty God, it was kind of hard for me to imagine what it would be like to stand before a judge because I've never been in a court setting um, in my lifetime. I should probably attend one just to see what it's like, but I've never actually seen a court uh, setting, so it's a little bit hard for me to visualize that. You know, I've, I've talked with a state judge, someone who was pretty high up, um, our neighbor. He's passed away now, but he was a state judge, and he sat at our table, and I visited with him, and I could imagine him being a very uh, kind and generous man, someone that would understand, understand you if you, as he judged over you in the courthouse, but I've never faced a robed judge in a courthouse who was making a decision for my future, where my future was in his hands, where he could say, you've got 10 years in jail, or you know, do some, you know, you have to do this or this, go to this place. I've never faced that. So I was thinking of a time when when I've been judged. And then I thought of the time when I was sitting in the back seat of a game warden's car, and there was two of them that were making a decision and a judgment about me and my future hunting abilities were kind of on the line, or so it seemed to me. You know, they, they were determining whether to arrest me for poaching deer, whether to take my hunting license away, um, whether they were going to find me. You know, I really didn't know. I was kind of scared sitting in the back seat of the car there. But, um, I, you know, I knew that what they decided was in their hands. You know, they, they were making a determination. So they, they talked with me. They cross-examined me. I had to tell my story a couple times. And I'm not going to make this story real long because um, I actually could make it really. Uh, there's a lot more to it. And by now, you're probably wondering, why was Dean poaching deer? Which I wasn't, but... Um, I had checked the dough in late, and somewhere around midnight, um, I checked. It was late at night. I checked this deer in, and it was cold and stiff. And and me and my friend, we were muddy and dirty because we had waded the big Darby Creek. It was about waist deep, and um, it was cold. And you know, we were after this big.
big buck. It was it was a really big monster, but one of those lifetime bucks that you uh, Ohio River bucks. And uh, like I said, there's more to the story, but that's not what the message is about. So I'll leave it at that for now. But anyhow, it was a week later, and here I was. I was sitting in the back of the car, and a judgment was being made. And I didn't have any time to get scared. I didn't have any time to gather my thoughts. What I was going to say, there was a knock on the door, and they wanted me. They asked my mom. They said, is Dean Yoder at home? And she said, yeah. And, and so I put my shoes on, and I was pretty soon, they asked me to sit in the back of the car. But I didn't have no time to think. There was, there was no preparation on my part. I wasn't getting ready for it. And I found out that honesty and in integrity, they, they were my best allies. Um, I was thankful that I was taught that. And it's the same way with death. Sometimes we know that death is imminent, that the chances are that we are going to die, that, that, that death is just around the corner. But for the most part, we're caught unawares like I was. I thought of the... Uh, what Byron shared a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about this tame bull and, uh, and how all of a sudden that thing turned on him. He was caught unawares with it. And just like the warden showed up the door for me, you know, I was caught unawares. I had no idea that, that someone thought I was poaching. But God's judgment on us is as certain as death is certain for each of us. I'd like for you to turn to uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 10 to 12. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 to 12. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to me. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. It says that everyone's going to bow, and everyone's going to give account. So there's going to be a basic judgment made at our death. If our faith you know, has been practiced in Jesus, then we'll have eternal life. And if not, we're going to go to hell. I mean, it's, that's just the plain and simple the way it is. The Bible doesn't give an option for those that sort of, you know, kind of might have lived a righteous life. Revelation 3.16 says that those that are lukewarm are going to be spewing out of God's mouth. They're going, to, they're going to be rejected. There's no in-between. It's either you're going to live with God and have eternal life, or the other option is hell. And, and I think Zach illustrated at Miracle Lake the story about the stairs. Some of you didn't see that, but the stairs are... If you think of a set of stairs going down to the basement or up to your upstairs, stairs are like our lives. Stairs either go up or they go down. Stairs don't go, they're not level. You can't walk on stairs level. 
And by nature of design, they can't be flat or they wouldn't be stairs. So every step we take in life are, is either going to lead us up or it's going to lead us down, the decisions that we make in life. In Romans 10, verse 14, it says that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there might be differing opinions on what that entails, what the judgment seat of Christ is. But I think that we can all agree that we will be judged, that every knee will bow to the judge, and that everyone will give account for how he lived his life. I think we can all agree on that. Revelation 6, verses 15 and 16 says that in the last day, people are going to go to the mountains and they're going to try to hide themselves in the dens of the rocks. And then they're going to beg for those rocks to fall on them. And the rocks aren't, you know, they're, they're going to try to hide from the face of God and his judgment. But we know that we can't hide from God and from his judgment because it doesn't matter if we're, um, you know, we cremate our bodies and have it sprinkled all over the, the ocean. You know, God is still going, that, that body was just a shell. And, and our soul is what God knows about. And God can, you know, he can easily find us. If, if those rocks would, were to fall on us, God would still be able to find us and he would be able to bring judgment on us. And I'd like for you to turn with me to Revelations chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Revelations 20, verses 11 to 15. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So there's some prominent things that stand out to me, and that I'm sure there's a lot more that I won't mention, because you could take a lot out of these verses here. But one thing that I want you to notice especially is the throne where everyone is judged in the first verse that I read there in verse 11. And also notice that there are books, and then there is the book of life. And it plainly says that our works are written down in the books. And I was trying to envision what kind of a bookcase God must have up there. And then I got to thinking, you know, his books probably aren't little like this. They're, they could be massive. So, you know, his books, um, you know, who knows how big they are and how wide they are. And they could be filled with a lot of writing on them. So I'm not sure how many volumes he has or how big they are. But, but there are books that every, all our works are written down on, on those books. You think about that for a while, that can really make you think. Then there's the book of life. 
And that's where your name is written down when you believe in Jesus. And Paul refers to this book of life in Philippians 4, verse 3, where he states that Judea and Synctic's name was written there in the book of life. And then in Luke 10, verse 17 to 20, Jesus encourages his disciples, and he tells them that their name was written in, in heaven and I think he was referring to the book of life when he was referring to their names being written down in heaven. And also of significance is in Revelations 3, verse 5, where Jesus says that our names can be blotted out of the book. And clearly, how we live our lives is important, and our commitment and our faith to God is important. Because it says that it can be blotted out of this book of life. So no one is going to be without excuse, regardless of their knowledge of Christ. doesn't matter what your knowledge is. No one's going to be without excuse. All of us are going to face this judgment seat one day. And before Jesus arrived on the earth, um, you know, we think when I talk about everyone's going to face this judgment seat, I had to think back to the Old Testament. Before Jesus even arrived on the earth, even the Old Testament saints, you know, they, they believed in God, though they still hadn't been made complete and perfect yet by the, the, their promised Redeemer. You know, they were waiting for a promised Redeemer. They were waiting and they were believing with anticipation for God's redemptive plan for man, and they were doing that by faith. That's in Hebrews 11. And then I thought about the people that have never, never heard the word. You know, they've, they've um, people that live way back, uh, you think about the Indians and people that, that the gospel hadn't spread to before, you know, Paul came and, and the gospel started spreading. In Romans 1.20, it tells us that even from the beginning of time, man has been able to know right from wrong by how they observed nature. That they, they could observe the creation and they could tell right from wrong and that they knew that there was a higher power and they could commit themselves to that higher power or they could commit themselves to the, to the other power, to the, to, to the gods of the world. So I think they could still believe in a creator even though they didn't know who that creator was. So there's many people that are in authority over us when we think about judgment. You know, they, they meet out some form of judgment. You might have your parents, you might be a teacher, might be an employer, or it might be a game warden. It might be a, a state or a federal judge that you stand before, or it might be God himself. These people, except for God, not a person, but they, they decide whether to pardon your activity and let you go free or to condemn your activity and invoke some sort of a penalty on you. You know, it might be a spanking from your parents. That might be their judgment on you. It might be extra homework or privileges taken away from your, by your school, school teacher. Or your employer, he might pass a judgment on you and uh, he might fire you. Or in my case, uh, you might be pardoned by this game warden. 
or the local judge, he might put you in jail. You know, some of these consequences, they seem harsh to us while we're living here on the earth. But, and we can live and we can learn from them. You know, we can go on from life. It's not like it's the end of things. You know, when, it seems like the end of things maybe sometimes when, when those penalties or those judgments are passed on us, but it's not the end. But the punishment and the consequences of sin that comes when we're judged by God at our death, it's severe and it's irreversible. When death comes and we're judged by God, we, we can't go back and say, oh, just a minute, I want to redo that part of my life that, that you're condemning me for. Or, you know, I want to do better in the future. It's, it's not possible. It's irreversible. And just as when God shut the door of the ark in Noah's day, it was final. It was no more people could enter into the ark. When death comes for us, the door is shut. And there will be no more mercy given, no opportunity to change your mind. And God's mercy is great while we're living here on the earth, but I don't think that there, that there won't be mercy once death happens. And just as the people in Noah's day faced death by a flood, death is final and our judgment is certain. Second Peter 2 verses 5 to 9 tells us that God is reserving the unjust people for the day of judgment. And I'd like to read that. If you want to turn to 2 Peter 2 verses 5 to 9. <clears throat> uh, let's see. I, I'm going to jump in here at 5. And, and he spared not the old world. But save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of the righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And then verse 9 says, And the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. <clears throat> so the punishment of hell is real. And I'd like to talk about that at a later date. But for right now, I'm going to leave that about the punishment of hell. But we don't need to be caught unawares of the judgment that will come for us. You know, while, while death may come unexpected and we won't be ready, there is hope for us believers. And there are some things that we can do to be ready and that we can be prepared for when death will come for us. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and in the first part of the chapter, in verses 4 to 5, Peter talks about our inheritance that is waiting, and it's reserved for us, and the choice is ours whether we receive it. So I'd like to read 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, and then I'll read verses 4 and 5. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, 
ready to be re revealed in the last time. And then I want to go down to verse 13 and read to verse 16. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So I think one of the most important things to prepare in our preparation for death that will come, I think we need to prepare our minds. We need to have our minds gird up. And when it's talking about being gird up, it's talking about gird up meant that you were, you were ready to work. You were ready to go to battle. You had your clothes tucked in and you were ready to move freely. That your clothes were out of the way, ready for action. And then I think in the same way, we need to prepare our minds. And it's, it's critical that we prepare our minds to be ready for, for death. To be, our minds need to be mentally alert. They need to be disciplined and focused as we gird up our, as we gird up our minds. And we need to prepare by being obedient. I think it talks about being obedient, and we need to be obedient to all of Christ's instructions that are found in the Word. And third, we need to design and we need to plan our lives around what God's plan is for us, not what our flesh desires. So let's, let's structure our lives around what God wants us to do. And then we also, it, it needs to be evident to others that we're living a righteous life, that our standards are based on the principles of God. And, you know, such people like that, people that, that had their, uh, that lived a righteous life and that was a, that lived a holy life. When I was growing up, sometimes people called them holy rollers. And um, I think that's okay to be called a holy roller. As verse 15 and 16 says, because, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So I think as we prepare for death and eternity, it's, it's worth it, because our investment in living a holy life will result in the return of eternal, of eternal life. So let's be ready. Let's be prepared for the coming judgment. And I'd like to leave you with the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 21, and ask you the question, are you going to hear these words? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then Jesus also said several times in Revelations, behold, I come quickly. <laughs>